Okay, we have played Trivial Pursuit until we have memorized every clue. We have played Candyland. We have played Sorry. That's how bored we are. We've played Sorry. So what's left to do during a quarantine but make a podcast? Wow, a podcast. That sounds hard. No, Brian, it's actually about the easiest thing in the world. I'm Matt Hall, and you might know me from such works as the audiobook of Matt Janssen's autobiography. But this is the BRFCS Podcast. My special guest on this episode of the BRFCS podcast was born in Huddersfield on the 7th of April 1983. He's a former England under-21 international and he earned 11 caps, scoring once. Some would say he's had more clubs than Jack Nicholas, as the old joke would have it, but I don't think that's quite right because I think it's only 12 with Harrogate Town, but we'll get into that a little bit uh, a little bit later on. He joined Blackburn Rovers in 2004 and had a very, very memorable spell with the club and he was instrumental in keepers in the Premier League. It is, of course, John Stead. John, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. It's great to have you on board. It's uh, absolutely fantastic to chew the cud. Twelve clubs, is that right, or have I missed one? Uh, I think so. I've, I've, <laughs> I've, lost, I've lost count a little bit as well, but yeah, I, I, I think you're right with the twelve. <laughs> they say that the most stressful life events after a death and a divorce is moving house. You've done that an awful lot then. What, what was it like and how stressful is it constantly having to uproot and then embed yourself into a new club? Uh, well, I think it's it's changed over the years. I think one thing I've kind of got used to it, so we've become better at it as as a family. But I think in the early days, um, you know, from leaving Huddersfield and going to Blackburn and then up to Sunderland, and I, I've I've kind of hit the kind of four corners of the country, really. Um, <laughs> when you look at the likes of Ipswich and Bristol as well, so you know we've moved a lot. But um, you know, the first half of that's so the first five or six years was was myself and my girlfriend, and so when there's just the two of you. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's relatively easy to pick up and and move and and settle in somewhere else. I think once your your family grows a little bit and and children are involved in schools and and everything that comes along with that, then obviously it's more disruptive. And I've kind of guided my career um, as best I could so that when it was getting to a stage where I, I didn't want to be uprooting my family, um, I was at clubs where I could I could commute comfortably without yeah. affecting obviously my, my playing career. So um, luckily we've, we've managed to travel, which is always fantastic, especially in younger years. And I think now we're, we're, we're comfortable where we are and it, it won't be okay. I won't be moving again from here, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic stuff. You're based in Huddersfield back again, are you now? Yes, Huddersfield, yeah. We've been based um, back here uh, since I left Bristol City and came back to Huddersfield for my second spell. And and while I was at um, Notts County, I travelled down and and now obviously travelling to Harrogate. So Fantastic. So let's take you back to um, 
when you first probably came on the, the radar of Rovers supporters, there were all sorts of rumours at the time that were in the market looking for a striker. And as luck would have it, there was a live FA Cup uh, tie involving a local side to us, Accrington Stanley. I can remember sitting there on the Sunday and thinking, I'll watch this, see if this lad Stead's any good and whether we should be signing him or not. 9th of November 2003, does it, does it ring any bells or have you tried to forget about it? No, I can certainly remember it. I think it was only my second FA Cup game I'd ever been involved in. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, well, I, I certainly remember I didn't score. I think I had plenty of chances, but I, I certainly <laughs> didn't score. So I don't know how the viewing came across for any uh, potential suitors or supporters that were looking at me as a player. I'm, I'm not sure how, how I'll come across on that game. But, uh, yeah, well, I, I remember it well. I remember Worthy getting, uh, sorry, John Worthington getting sent off. Yeah, early on uh, as well. Yeah, I think 15, 20 minutes, something yeah. like that, maybe half an hour. Um, so we were up against it and then we were kind of hanging on, uh, looking for probably a draw really to get away from the away from the tie and, and, and uh, you know, force it into, an, into another game. But I think, uh, I can't remember the, I can't remember, I was trying to think of the keeper's name. I should have checked before, but I, I can remember he, I think he got injured and he came off really late. Really late, and a good, a really good friend of mine, same year as me in the youth team, Phil Senior, goalkeeper, who he still lives. He's actually a PE teacher uh, local to me, so I'm still, I'm still in touch with Phil. And and he came on, I think, about the 90th minute, and I think no sooner as he'd been on, a lad smashed a um, a volley in from like 20, 25 yards. He did. It was a great finish. To be fair, yeah, Yeah, a great finish. I can't remember his first name, but I remember it was called the Gook because I can remember yeah. all the fans shouting Gook. <laughs> I think he was known as Shrek as well. I think that's just saying he's not the most photogenic of players, but that was definitely yeah. his, his Akron no, Stanley high point. To be fair, it was a, a fantastic goal, and yeah, we we were we were well and truly um, embarrassed. Yeah, and it was like I say, it was live on TV, so it was a um, yeah, not not a great game for myself, especially I'd been having a decent season, but yeah, it was, it was one of those to forget, like you say. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think it polarized opinion. I think a lot of people sort of cut you some slack because obviously you had 10 men for so long, but yeah, the, uh, thankfully Twitter wasn't around at the time. Yeah, <laughs> it might, yeah. it might've had a bit of feedback. I hope we don't sign this lad, but uh, we'll, we'll yeah, get exactly, onto that yeah. in due course. So growing up, were you a Huddersfield town fan as a boy? Yes, I was. Yeah, I mean, I, did, I didn't get into football seriously until uh, probably the ages of 10, 11. So me, me early, younger than that, I wasn't really a massive football fan in general at all, really. Really? Um, but what, yeah, I was, um, I was a keen swimmer um, all, all through the younger years. Um, swam for Yorkshire and, and swam before school, after school. You know, I was quite keen into it. And once football kind of started coming on the scene a little bit, yeah. I, it was a bit of a, a decision that I had to make, which kind of avenue I'd go down. Cause obviously the, the commitments for both of them would have been too yeah. much along with schoolwork. So, um, so yeah, so, so I went into football. So I only played my first season, I think under 11s and that was just Sunday league, you know, Hepworth United, which is a, a local, um, a village team near me. Yeah. Uh, and from there jumped straight into Huddersfield. So, I think probably from the ages of 11, 12 was kind of when I really became a fan of, of Huddersfield Town and with, with us being in the in the youth setup, we were ball boys and, and all that sort of stuff. So you were around the club and around the players and, and you kind of idolised them. So yeah, that was when it really kind of you know started to sink in that, that football was the thing that I was passionate about. Yeah. Was that just about the time then that you moved grounds from Leeds Road to uh, to the new stadium? And the yeah, it was just after. Yeah, 
just after so I never, I never went to, to Leeds Road um, a lot of people give me stick for that because obviously I'm not a real fan of having to go down there but, um, <laughs> even I've been uh, to Leeds yes. Road yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah so once it came to well I've been to the plaque that's in the it's outside B&Q now in yeah. the car park the little plaque where the centre spot was so, so I suppose I've been there really but uh, yeah once we moved to the, the McAlpine as it was then uh, that's when I started going regular so were you there on the uh, the Grand Stadium opening because I don't know if you recall but your uh, Huddersfield Town's opponents that day were one Blackburn Rovers who then I think were the uh, reigning Premier League champions. Oof. I can't. I can't remember that. I don't think. I don't think I will have been. No, I think it'll have been slightly after that. Maybe the season or so after. Yeah. But um, once once we started getting filtered through and ball by, so no, I don't. I don't remember that. So I, I think if it was something like that, I would have remembered. Yeah, because I think it was Andy Booth's first spell, um, and and there was a lot of rumours at the time that he was he was destined for the Premiership. So again, he was another one that we we're keeping eyes on just in case. But he ended up at Sheffield yeah. Wednesday, of course. So when did yeah. he? When did? Becoming a professional footballer first become a reality. When did you think, yeah, this this actually could be a career for me? Uh, I think I was probably looking towards, I think around year nine at school. So so what's that? It's like sort of 13, isn't it? 12, uh, 13, 14, yeah. something like that. Um, I think that's when you start... Or, or you start being asked about your career paths and and how, how you think your life's going to pan out and which direction you want to kind of move towards. And for me, then football was was the only thing that I was really passionate about. Obviously, the swimming had, had come and gone, which I loved, but football was the only thing. And it was it was I was realizing that I was getting better at it. There was a lot of things that I needed to work on, and like I touched on earlier, I was late into it. So I think it was probably then when I really thought, well, let's make sure my, my education is taken care of. I'll get. Not the bare minimum, but I'll make sure I pass things <laughs> enough to to have something to fall back on. And, and apart from that, I think I'll go for football. And I think sometimes when you say that with school teachers, you get um, a, a raised eyebrow and yeah, yeah but yeah, but what are you really going to yeah. do? Kind of questions. But um, yeah, it was the only thing that I was really passionate about. I enjoyed graphics at school. That was probably the only other subject that I was interested in. So it'd have been football or or maybe an architect or something like that. But yeah, it, it was kind of then where I realised, you know, there's, there's an option here for me um, with going into, you know, finishing school and going into a into an academy setup. And was it Huddersfield's academy then that expressed an interest? Yeah, so I've been playing with Huddersfield right through, uh, and in in those days it wasn't really an academy as such; it was a centre of excellence. excellence yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah, from straight from school, I managed to get two years um, with with the centre of excellence and, and moved into that setup and. Uh, from there, played on and off. We didn't have enough bodies for an under seventeens and a nineteen side. So my, my first kind of eighteen months of the of the youth setup, I, I didn't play much football because of the obviously the older lads would yeah. take preference. Um, so yeah, so it was a difficult time and and um, a lot of things that again that I needed to work on. I had some good coaches that helped me a lot with some one on one stuff to get me up to scratch. Um, until I physically developed a bit more instead of being a little skinny dweeb who was just going to get smashed everywhere. Uh, so, yeah, so that, that's how I progressed through. And how much did football come naturally to you versus having to put the effort in? Um, well, I was very heavily weighted on on working on things that I wasn't good at and, and the effort side of it. And I think even now I look at my whole, my sorry, <clears throat> excuse me, my career as a whole, I think... It, I've not been blessed with that natural raw ability. There's things that I've had to work on a lot, um, and I've always managed to cover up some of some of my, um, you know, the weaker parts of my game with yeah. with the attitude, with with the energy. Um, 
with with some sometimes the simplicity doing doing the simple things well and and you can mask um some of your shortcomings so i i think i've been luckily enough and probably clever enough to to understand that early on and make sure that i was um still progressing with my career and uh, but being as good as i can be because i know that i know there's limits to to where i can be yeah. so you were receptive of coaching and maybe maybe just that sowed a seed as to the power of what coaching could do. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I think I was. I think I'm I'm somebody that 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 definitely likes to listen, wants to learn. Even now, I'm you know I, I enjoy learning and hearing different things. Um, a lot of that might not come now on the training pitch, but whether it comes from from reading things about other managers and coaches and and different bits of literature, I, I enjoy that because you know they're all new things to the game yeah. even if you've been in it for 20 years like I have so um yeah I think I was probably a you know a coach's dream in that respect because you know I wanted to learn and I realized very early that I needed coaches I needed that help I needed extra bits on on like a, a touched on the the weaker parts of my game and the bits that needed to get me up to the same level as the other lads yeah. so um, I was always open to it and and uh, quite keen for it so what do you remember of your Huddersfield Town debut my Huddersfield Town debut was who was that against? It was a loss. I think it was Brentford. Um, I think. <laughs> I hope, I hope that's right. Um, but yeah, uh, we lost. My, my, my debut was was fantastic because obviously you're playing for the the club um, that, that you've supported, and, and like I said, and, and playing with some of the lads who I'd been ball buying for. I think yeah. you know Boothy coming back, you know, through second spell and. Um, yeah, it was it was a whirlwind, if if anything, because I was still only very young. Uh, I think I can't remember the score, but I think we lost two or three nil. I don't think it was a great um, a great occasion for us on on the pitch. And I was playing left of a of a three up top, which I did for the majority of my first season actually. Um, and that was down to previously having to work hard on my left foot to try and get a game at <laughs> left wing back for the youth team. So um, left wing back. Yeah, for the youth team. Well, like I said, we, we only had a, a 19s team and we were, we were weak on the left-hand side. So for me at 17, the only way I could get anywhere near the team or play was I was the only one who was decent on my left foot. So I ended right. up playing left wing back for, for quite a few games before I went up top. So, um, so, so yeah, so David, yeah, enjoyed it. But I, I, don't have, I don't have huge standout memories from it, if I'm honest, yeah. um, compared to I do to other, other stages in my career and, and other big events. So let's move on to those then. So how did the interest from Blackburn Rovers first materialise? When did you become aware that it was a possibility that you might uh, might be subject to a bid? Um, it, well, it was literally probably a week to 10 days before I was turning out for my debut. Um, I, it was very, very quick as, as it was in, in, in those days. Things kind of happened within a couple of days. So we'd, we'd played a game, we'd, we'd come back, uh, Jack had pulled me just as I'm getting off the coach and said, "You know, we've 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 accepted a bid from Blackburn." Um, I was only aware they'd, they'd been watching me one game before, so yeah. uh, I don't know how long they'd been they'd been planning it or whether it I was kind of a I was on the back burner if if things do, you know didn't materialise with other players, I was an option. I didn't know which way they were looking at it, but yeah, it was it was very very quick. So it was from there I was um, I was going straight up to to Blackburn. I think. The following Sunday to watch against Chelsea. I think we we're playing Chelsea at Ewood, which we lost three, three nil, three one, something like that. Um, and I met Sunes 
you know, in, in a in a stairwell as it was out the back of the, um, <laughs> they, they, you know, they'd invited myself and my stepdad to come up. We had a we had a meal uh, in the corporate area and stuff before the game and, yeah. and watched 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 the match and everything. Still not not seen the manager or spoken to anybody. We were just kind of there as guests. And um, afterwards, the one of the stewards kind of said, "Oh, you know, just just nip round here that you know the manager would like to speak to you." So it was literally in a stairwell, you know, at the back of the stadium, and he uh, I, I can remember it. To this day, like you say, these these are vivid memories that I have, and he just sort of said, um, "How are you doing? You all right? Brilliant, yeah, fine." You know, shook his hand, said hello, and then he said, "We just kind of went quiet for a few seconds, and then he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, can you handle? Can you handle that then?'" And I, you know, me, you know, rash nineteen year old, <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, of course I can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, you know, I, I should have been playing today. Yeah, of course I can. Yeah." Um, so give it all the big in, and then. Uh, yeah, and and that was it. He said good, and uh, the next day I was I was there for training. So you know, it was literally as quick. as Wow, fantastic! What what did you make of Graham Souness? Because I think he's one of those. Certainly, as a pundit, recent years he seems to have mellowed, shall we say, except when he's talking about Paul Pogba. But the stories are legion about him as a manager. How much of it was true, and how much of it is myth? Uh, I I didn't see much of the I mean I saw I saw spells I saw times when he he was he was very animated and and angry and and uh and was very vocal at, at the players um you know after games and stuff but the majority of the time he was very calm and collected really honest and direct yeah. um you know and I I really really got on with him I liked him a lot um he'd, he'd been a very different sort of character to what I'd had previously with Peter Jackson um but a, a very, a very friendly and 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 a nice guy to talk to. You know, it would, the the good thing that I had is he'd obviously brought me to the club. I saw him as as some kind of you know life changing you know messiah that had just given me <laughs> the opportunity to go and to go and play Premier League football. You know, I was just like in in complete awe and debt to him. Yeah. Um, for for the opportunity and and that's that's how I looked at him. He could have done probably could have done no wrong in my eyes because of because of what he'd done to get me to the Premier League. So um, yeah, I, I had very good dealings with him and and uh, and was very sad to see him go. Yeah, were you, were you playing in the, that six aside game where he tackled Dwight York? <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. I would have rather was... ring your lawyer first before you answer. <laughs> well, I was, it was funny that because I I didn't I ended up being on on the staff team. So I was on the team with with obviously the gaffer Dean Saunders was on there, and then there was somebody else as well. But obviously um, Yorkie was on on the other side, and <laughs> they just started having a having a pop at each other verbally, and it was a bit of banter. But like you know, they could see they were like getting agitated with each other, and then the ball started coming near them. So then there was a few <laughs> little kicks and a few nudges and a, a few slide tackles, and then before you know it, they were pretty much kicking the ball to the you know if it, if it was. The gaffer, he'd kick the ball to Yorkie and then just go straight at him, go straight at him <laughs> to try and fire through him. And then Yorkie'd do the same. He'd like misplace a pass so that it went towards the gaffer so that he could just sprint and try and two foot him. So the you know they just ended up pretty much scrapping, and the the, the training session got kind of called off really. But um, yeah, for me, I'm I'm just like <laughs> thinking, what on earth is going off here? <laughs> just staying well away from it and um, and observing from a distance. But yeah, I think that was the only time where you know I saw I've seen him completely lose his rag. And and to be fair, they they were both out of order. You know, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't one Six or one. the other. Half a dozen yeah, they were they were both in in the moment having an argument. 
going at it, you know, tooth and nail with each other. And do you know what? That's happened somewhere, every, everywhere I've been, yeah. you know, through, throughout my career. There's there's always a time when somebody loses the rag and there's there's a bit of a scuffle or there's a bit of something, but more often than not, 10 minutes later, it's forgotten about. Clears the air, all the rest of it. You must yeah. have wondered, though, one month in, but it's just saying, <laughs> second thoughts looming and all the rest of it. But you, your debut yeah. was away at Middlesbrough. Yeah. And you scored. What What do you remember of that game? Ship ball in. Flick cross back there, helping defend. Emerton on the edge of his own box. It falls for short, who wastes no time in just pumping it upfield. And if Gallagher can get this one, maybe he has a chance. Flicks it past Rigger. This could be Gallagher in one-on-one. Mills comes back. Falls to Stead with a chance. Who scores on his debut? An unbelievable start to his Blackburn career. Paul Gallagher with the break. Mills with a challenge, it fell for Jonathan Stead, who, cool as you like, slotted it right-footed, back past Mark Swarter, and on his debut, the £1 million signing, Jonathan Stead, the scorer, and 38 minutes into this match, it's Middlesbrough nil, Rovers 1. Um, well, I remember the goal, I've got I've got photos of the goal, and... and um... You know, Galley, I think, chased the yeah. ball down. And I don't know if he played it to me or they defended it, but they managed to squirm it across the kind of 18 yard line. And um, it was just a first time finish, quite an instinctive side foot, really, just yeah. passed, passed it into the corner and it went straight in in front of our travelling fans. Um, so went and celebrated towards them. But yeah, I mean, I was shocked I was even playing. You know, I, I couldn't believe I'd started the match. Um, and uh, yeah, to get the goal was brilliant because that's what you want. You need. If there's any doubt in in your mind as to what am I doing here, I'm looking round. You yeah. know, I think I think you know Gareth Southgate was playing in that game. I think as well, and you know, you, I'm just thinking, you know, how have I ended up here? Uh, so to get the goal was nice because it settles you down and it just gives you that um, kind of inner, inner belief and, and confidence that that yeah, you, you're here for a reason. You're all right. You're holding your own. You've, you've scored. We, you know, everything's going well. Um, what I wanted to make sure I do is did is carry on scoring like I had been for the first part of the season, you know, at Huddersfield, and yeah. and um, and it was a great way to go and do that. What was it like walking into that dressing room then? So we've already touched on uh, Dwight York being there, but Andy Cole was around at the time. So as you sort of say, you're coming in as a raw 19 year old. How welcoming is a, a changing room to a, to a new young lad that's coming in? Um, well, I think I was lucky because although. I mean, there was a real mix in, in that dressing room. I mean, there was the superstars of sort of, you know, Coley and York, who I could, I could hardly look them in the eye. I was that starstruck. And then, <laughs> but then you've got like the likes of, you know, the older pros, you know, Gary Flickcross, Craig Shorts, yeah. um, you know, um, Lucas Neal. You know, the, the, these are all well-established, Solid proven pros. professional professional men, nice guys. Um, and they were, they were brilliant with me, all, all of them. It, there wasn't anybody that wasn't, but you know they they kind of stood out as the ones that they could see I was a bit starry eyed and a, you know not really used to the situation. So they they were very helpful with with the day to day rules and do's and don'ts and and that sort of thing. And and all the staff were fantastic as well. So it, it was looking back, it was an easy transition. There was yeah. a lot going on in my head, and and obviously you know it was a bit of a whirlwind. But as far as um, a group of players accepting me, then it, it was it was first class, and I ended up living in Bromley Cross um, in Bolton, yeah. like very well, stone's throw from from Gary Flickcross House, and 
Lucas lived up the road, so we'd socialise together as well. And you know, they they could they could sink a pint as well. So they, they showed me the ropes. <laughs> they showed me the ropes with that as well around uh, around Manchester and Bolton. And it was just all new and exciting, and it, you know, it was fantastic. So they they were a, a very a very good group to go into. What's your favourite Rovers memory? I think pro- probably the. I mean, the Man United goal stands out. That, that's that's the one I was hoping you'd say. I must admit. Yeah. <laughs> Douglas flicks the ball on. Gallagher tries to get past Brown. He doesn't get there. Falls for Stead. Gallagher on the edge of the area tries to turn away from one man. Tries to turn away from the other on his left foot. Laid through towards Stead. Is this the moment? Stead scores for Rovers. And what an impact from Paul Gallagher! First touch, he laid the ball through to Jonathan Stead. And right-footed, he took a touch, whipped the ball past Tim Howard. And Premiership safety is surely now guaranteed. It's Rovers 1, Manchester United 0. The dream continues as Jonathan Stead is the scorer. Well, I've got... Because I've got, obviously Shearer as well was a big you know, hero of mine. So scoring against Newcastle and equalising that game and getting Shearer's shirt after the game, um, you know, which is still framed with mud on it, you know, that I've got now, you know, they, they were nice moments, but the, the, yeah, the Man United one to score against Manchester United is, you know, whenever or wherever it happens is just, it's just something that you, you can, you could kind of retire on really. I was yeah. thinking, you know, that I've scored against Manchester United. My stepdad, huge Man United fan, so it was, <laughs> it was just a very, very, very special, a special day for for us as a family, really. And I think that was kind of the point where we thought, "Wow, this, you know, I've, I've kind of it's happening. Got, got, yeah, it's happening. I've got here, you know." Yeah. Um, so it was a very, yeah, very emotional day, and and I'm, you know, right up there with the the top moments in my career. Yeah. So Graham Souness hot foots it to Newcastle. If the rumours are to be believed, shortly before he would have got the push from the board in any event, and in mm. comes Mark Hughes. And I've got to be honest, at that time, I was thinking that Mark would get hold of you and really turn you into this this all star, all round centre forward. But it it never seemed to quite happen. How how did it feel for you being on the receiving end when a new manager comes in and he doesn't seem to give you the chances that you've had under the old one? Yeah, it was it was a real um, strange scenario. I wasn't sure how to approach um, my dealings with him. I wasn't really sure what to say, when to speak to him, how how to go about it. I'd always been um, I'd not worked under many managers up until then. So, and for him, for me again, you know, Mark Hughes, Ian Wrights, these are the type of people who I idolised. So yeah. To, yeah. to to have him there in front of me, I'm thinking, well, this. On paper, this is match made in heaven. He's a top striker, very, very old-fashioned centre forward. Um, he must the way he plays. He must he must share the same values as me. You know, we yeah. must have a lot in common. I'm like Bill strikers it all union. Up, yeah. thinking, this is going to be perfect. Um, and then we just never, just never saw eye to eye. Just never felt comfortable um, approaching him and speaking to him. We had very, very limited dealings. I think I was probably in his office three or four times couple of times to ask to go on loan to try and get some games um which he declined you know straight away without much reason really um and then when he said we've you know we've we've accepted an offer you can go and you can go and speak to um Sunderland and Charlton which were the two two offers that which they'd accepted um so apart from that I didn't I didn't have much dealings with and I don't I've I've, I've spoke to other players and they've had similar experiences with him um and then and it was disappointing, and obviously I wanted to my career to to keep moving forward, and you know I was I was riding on this um, kind of 
crest and and, and wave of of you know thinking this is it. You know, I'm just going to go. Yeah, I'm going to be yeah. playing regular for England in another year. And you know, you, you're kind of looking looking forward, thinking you know, not this is easy. Nothing can go wrong. Um, very naively <laughs> having that. Um, Fake uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it, it was just disappointing, and and I, I didn't know how to deal with it. Maybe some sometimes I could have. And don't get me wrong, I might not have been performing as well. You know, I wasn't scoring goals. I was, when I was playing, you know, when I was on the pitch, I wasn't lighting it up. So I've, I, I take that responsibility as well, obviously. How, how did you recognise the loss of form, though? And to what did you put that down? Because you're still the same guy. You've still got the same skill set. You've, you've, you've had a successful season. You've kept Rovers in the Premier League. And then it's just not happening. For, for a professional athlete, how much of that is, is in the head? I'd say nearly all of it i think that is a huge a huge side of the game which again it's it's hindsight it's getting older and more experienced that you you tune into how you're feeling about things a, a lot more i think it's still a, a part of the game which is hugely um underdeveloped and, mm, and needs a lot needs a lot of work needs a lot of um needs a lot more honesty and a lot more openness from from players and and i think if the if us as players recognise that a lot more, it could be used as a massive tool and an asset for us rather than a yeah. than a demon, um, especially for strikers. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't think I, I don't think we dealt with it at all. Really, I, I, you know, as as a professional, I'm thinking um, I'm not doing anything different. You know, what, why why am I not scoring um, or why am I not doing the things that I was doing? You know, the season before, and for the first time in my career, I was I was at that crossroad. I, I'd, I'd not had that before. I'd just been jumping forward. Yeah. Things have been getting better. Yep, next step. Yep, cracked it. Next step, cracked it. So now it gets to a point where, ooh, I've hit the top, and now yeah, I'm, I'm struggling. You know, I'm struggling to stay here, and it uh, it it was. I think looking back now, it was a, a, a lot more difficult than I than I thought it was at the time, and I think the whole scenario of moving to Blackburn and everything that happened in that first season probably caught up with me. And and as mentally, I, I didn't know how to how to um, stop that from spinning back the other way. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's it's a salient point. So, how did you feel when you actually left when you walked out of Ewood Park for the last time? Um, I was. I had mixed emotions. I was excited because you know I was going to a, a huge club like Sunderland, and I, and I felt like I felt like I was going to have that chance of a manager wanting me there again. Like I, you know, Mick, who had been chasing me for eighteen months previously, and you know, I thought you know this it's going to be a fresh start for me. I'll yeah. I'll kind of write off this this period here, and um, you know, with with Mark Hughes and everything that had happened that second season, and and I'll start afresh, and everything will be carry on as yeah. as it should. Do. Um, and on the other hand, I, w- I was sad to be leaving because, as you touched on, you know, I'd had a fantastic first first season. You know, back in the season, the, what had happened with us staying up and the reception that I'd got from the supporters and everybody at the club, and you know, I felt like I was settling into it. And you know, it, it was it's the it's the type of family club that you could see yourself staying at, yeah. you know, and and, and spending the, the majority of your career there. So. I was I was disappointed to be to be leaving and, and I was a bit probably upset and disappointed with myself that I'd not carried on um you know what I'd started in that first part. Given that you've had the range of clubs that you've had and the number of different managers that you've played for, who are the ones that left the, the most positive impact on you? Who are the ones that have given you that, that lift and influenced you? I think looking back the whole career, I think Peter Jackson was a was a big um a big character for me. He was and 
the others that I, that I'll mention are, are very similar people, um, very similar man managers and and that sort of thing. So there was him. Um, there was later on in my career. Uh, I'll try and put them in order if I can get them in order. <laughs> um, but there, there was um, Neil Warnock, who you know I've, I've huge respect for. Really, really enjoyed playing for him, and, and he came at a time when my career was literally, you know, on a on a hanging on a knife I'm edge. Well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you put it very well there. Yeah, I was on a knife edge. I was wondering where am I going to go from here? You know, what what's going to happen? Was that Sheffield United? Yeah, Sheffield United. So after the, the troubles that I'd had at Sunderland, and to then go to Sheffield United and 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 have a have a similar second half of the season to I did um, when I when I joined Blackburn um, was was down to him and getting into my head and and making me believe in in myself a little bit again. So so him, Jacko, um, and the I'd say the other one. I mean, there's not many I've, I've disliked to be honest. Um, I think there's only there's only two that I've that I've struggled to get on with. I think the rest I've, I've enjoyed. But Kevin Nolan was a, another a brilliant manager for right. me down at Notts County. County yeah. um, I mean, again, the, the, a very similar character, very straight, straightforward, straight talking, um, all about confidence. Is is your friend, you know, as as well as your manager, yeah. you know, on a personal level. I mean, it was only a year, I think just less than a year older than me. So, we, you know, we, we had a lot in common yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and got on really well. And, and um, so I, re- I really enjoyed working for him. So I think those three are probably the top three. But like I said, you know, there's, um, there's probably Mark Hughes, who I struggled to get to build any sort of relationship. Mark Robbins, I, I didn't I didn't get on with at all at Huddersfield. I really struggled again with him. Um, and I had some dealings with Roy Keane. But, I, but having said that, uh, probably I've got more respect for Roy Keane than, than any of them just because of, of who he is and, and, and how he was and well, the second time I had him when, when I was leaving to go to Bristol we were actually got on really well and, and since then uh, get on well so he was kind of one that hopefully I kind of turned a little bit <laughs> Maybe it's just strikers then John maybe I, 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 it's a seem maybe it's worth exploring at some point but it's often Possibly. said that people who can do things really really well and then they look at others who can't do it as well, struggle sometimes to to put themselves in the mind of those players. So there's yeah. stories you hear about Glenn Hoddle trying to, to to coach something at Swindon, and I think it was um, a free kick or something with John Moncur. And he said, no, no, do this. And he just like put three balls down the room, ping them all into the top corner. Yeah. So like that, do that. But, but it was natural for him. He'd never had to work at it. And I wonder if with someone like Mark Hughes, he sort of thinks you're being lazy or something because you've just not got the same innate natural ability that he had and he can't relate to somebody who's had to work at it based on what you said. I think that's definitely, um, I think that if you, if you looked into that more, I think that'd definitely be a, a familiar or recurring theme. I think the, the top, top players, it must be, it must be tough for them to, yeah. to watch training at times and think how many times can I explain yeah. this? Why, or why am I having to explain this to yeah. you? Yeah. Um, I think Roy, Roy Keane, I think is, was probably, probably be top of that list for me just because the, the standards and what he'd been used to um yeah. in training sessions he would he would very often speak about um you know Scalzi and and the way they trained and what was expected and how he'd never you'd never seen him give the ball away in training you know in, in any of the sessions that he trained with him and I think at, ta- <laughs> I think at times he, he probably looked at us at Ipswich and just thought what on earth is this? I'd see me skywing over from five yards and just turn around and just 
it probably just go it goes and walk his dogs around long way of the <laughs> training pitch just so he doesn't have to see it. So um, I, I can totally see where you're coming from with that, and I and I can imagine it's very very difficult to um, adjust your level of, of kind of satisfaction yeah. to, to the group that you're working with. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to, to have the ability to put Pep Guardiola in charge of Rochdale for a season or something like that and see <laughs> what impact he would have on that standard of player. I mean, he's Absolutely. bound to improve them. But you say, at what point does he have a nervous breakdown because he's frustrated yeah. with their ability or whatever? Let's anyway, let's bring, it to, let's bring it a little bit more contemporary then. Um, one of the highlights I wanted to touch on was uh, an FA, another FA Cup tie. This time you were on the winning side of an upset away at Chelsea when you were playing for Bradford City. I can mm. remember that being first match on match of the day. How good was that then? Oh, in- incredible, incredible! It was um, it was just every every cliche, every scenario of FA Cup history, you know, rolled into one game. It was just it was in- absolutely astonishing what what we did down there. We we go we went and we. In honesty, we went down not to embarrass ourselves and to have a you know today have a good day out. We had you know everybody had loads of tickets. I think I had nearly fifty tickets with different family and stuff. We had I think six thousand down there you know supporters watching, um, and we were just we were just think, thinking you know don't embarrass yourselves, enjoy it, um, and but take the game as, you know as serious as you should do. You know go yeah. go and try and and try and, and make something happen and. When we find ourselves two 0 down after twenty minutes, we're thinking, "Oh, but um, yeah, to get a goal just before half time, and then you know the second half to come out and go on and and do what we did was was just you know unbelievable." And with it, um, obviously, I've, I've done a few things recently, um, uh, bits of press stuff, and you know, discussing the games and stuff. And every, every time I every time I, I talk through it in detail again, you, you remember something else, or you'll see a clip yeah. and. And it'll it'll pick your mind to another bit. So, I, I can I could hopefully say that for the for the rest of my life I'll be I'll be remembering and, and reliving moments of that game. You know, it was it was a the one game for me as a player where individually everything happened, everything came together. I was at the peak of of my of my abilities, what what I am as a player, um, and I knew I couldn't have played any better. And that, that's a nice feeling to have. Actually, I think there's players that will go through the career and. And think you know, there's always a part in the game where I could have done this, I could have yeah. done that. I can't pick one from that game, so it was uh, it was nice to have one of those. Well, there was a lot of love on Rovers Twitter and on our um, our forums and message boards that night for you and, and Bradford City. I think it's one of those. This is it, steady scoring Chelsea for two, <laughs> amazing. So as I say, that that warmth that we had uh, for you as a player was we certainly had a lot of people that have, uh, have followed you through your career through. So. Notts County, curiously, towards the end of the career, was where you you ended up playing more games than anyone else uh, at a yeah. time I think that could be described as turbulent for Notts County. Um, yeah. But then, but then you end up leaving and going to then non-league Harrogate Town, and the glory hasn't finished. What were the expectations of Harrogate when you signed for them, and what what did they hope to get from you? Well, in, initially leaving, like I say, leaving Notts County after four years um, w- was a tough decision, and it had been a very, very turbulent four years. Is putting it mildly. <laughs> um, so, and for me to 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 have spent my whole career in in, in the top four divisions and, and not dropping into non-league football was something that I wanted to carry on. Really, I, w- I wasn't really looking to drop into non-league. Um, the Harrogate Town thing came around. The the chief scout literally emailed me, um, just said, you know, would you be interested in 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 coming? And at first, I was a bit like, I'm, I'm, I'd rather 
not go into too much detail now because I'm, I'm, you know, if I can, I'd like to stay in the football league and um, and and express that. And um, a couple of days later, he said, "Look, you know, we, we'd love you just to come and have a chat with us, and and we can kind of give you the, give you our vision and stuff." And in, in that time, I think I'd, I'd obviously done done a bit more due diligence, which yeah. I would do when any club um, says that says they're interested. So I'd, I'd looked at their kind of progression over the last sort of six or seven years and. And looked at the groups of players and the players that have been there. A lot of them been there for a long time uh, and and worked up the the divisions with them. And um, obviously looked at the relationship between the chairman and the manager, father and son, which is obviously different as well. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, at that time, I'll be honest, they were the only club because they did it quite early on in in the in the window. So yeah. they, they were the they were the first club to show a real keen interest. Um, so I just told, I just went and had a chat with them and, and went and sat down with the manager and, and the chairman and, and we, we discussed different things and um, their kind of view was they narrowly missed out in the in the playoffs the previous season. Um, they're obviously a very a small club in terms of their infrastructure and, and how they're you know the, how they're working the way up and doing it the right way, doing it very close knit, family orientated again, which was. Um, which was the case with Huddersfield, with Blackburn especially, yeah. um, or it was then. Yes, <laughs> things have changed. <laughs> um, yeah, it was then. Well, that's another podcast. Absolutely. But, um, so, so yeah, it was. It was just a, an opportunity. They they were willing to give me the two years, which is what I wanted. Obviously, the security with my age and stuff, and the fact that you know the previous four seasons I'd played, uh, I think 140, 150 games, you know, thirty plus games a season. So yeah. I didn't see myself as an injury risk. So. I was quite comfortable that I was um, an adamant that I wanted the two years. Um, and it was a project and, and something that I just thought, you know, they're on the way up. Um, you know, they're, they're looking to get to that next stage. They needed a little bit more experience. Um, that was kind of my, um, you know, thing from the manager. Can you come in? Can you give us that little bit of edge? We need somebody to stick how. the ball in the net, which yeah. we'd which we feel, feel we can improve on um, and just a bit more experience and a bit more guile um, to try and bring a, a, a group of um, not inexperienced players because they've played a lot of games, but at that next level, yeah. let's let's show them a little bit more what it's about, what, what it entails. And, and as a group, we'll try and get there. So um, that was it. And so I was thinking, well, okay, we'll drop down for one season, we'll get promoted and then I'll be back in the, in the football league at 37 you know, thirty-eight before the end of the season, and and you know, then 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 I'll look at it then and see and see where I go from there. And, and luckily, and um, it's worked out perfectly. You know, it couldn't have gone any better. There's, everything's been in turmoil um, since the start of the year for for all different reasons for everybody. Um, but the football side of it just seemed to work out for me, and and it, it's turned out to be one of the best decisions you know I've made in my career. Fantastic playoff final against Notts County. There, I mean. That was quite something, quite the script. It, it was. I mean, it, it was. It, it was a, a world of emotions. Really, it was, there was everything in in that uh, trip to Wembley. I'd never been there before, so it was my first trip to to Wembley. No fans there, um, yeah. so no family there and stuff, yeah, which was yeah. which was really tough. Bittersweet. Uh, yeah, and and then again, again, like you say, against your your form club, who you've played the most games for, you know, out of any club you've been at. I had a very good relationship with with a lot of the backroom staff, a lot of the obviously the the general manager, sport director there, and and all the all the office staff and everybody that works at the ground. I've spent a lot of time there with them, so 
I knew, having seen the turmoil of the, the previous four years, I knew how much, how much that yeah. game yeah. meant for them, you know, you know, as professionally, but as well financially, security, you know, everything that um, that you, you want from, from your job. Uh, I knew that to, to get that, they, they needed to go up. So it was, it was a very, very um, difficult day in that respect um and again th- they're the sort of things that you appreciate more as you you, you get older and you go through your career you realize yeah. what a livelihood is um and, you, and you, you realize you know what it means to people day in day out and what it means to the family so yeah it was, it was a very strange one but you know it, the, the day as a whole was was incredible you know the result was fantastic to get on the pitch was was superb um and it, everything just fell into place. Again, we played a perfect game. Um, we got a little bit nervy uh, the middle of the second half when they, you know, when it was two one and and uh, the, the, the tide was shifting a little bit. But we, we got there over the line, and in the end, you know, finished um, you know comfortable winners and, and deserved winners as well. So another another season in the football league. Will this be the last one? Have you made your mind up, or is it to see how the body holds up? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it's probably looking like it. I think um, I'll, I'll never say um, and, until I'm, I'm 100% sure what I'm going to do. But there's a lot, I've got a lot of other things that I'd, that I'd like to pursue. A lot of other interests still in, involved in the game. But um, whether that will fit in another full time um, playing season, yeah. uh, then I don't know. But that's that's a decision that I'll have to make after Christmas. I think. Well, let's talk about one of those, John Stead Striker Academy. <laughs> yeah so uh, how long has that been going where did that come from it's it started just because um a lot of things that i can remember from my you know early days of playing football the the fundamentals goal scoring all the little bits were always based on obviously your technique um you know your calmness in front of goal all all the things that you see in every coaching magazine and stuff yeah. and i just I, I just figured that i've always thought it's it'd be good for clubs to have um, a position-specific coach, which a lot of them do actually now, yeah. um, and especially in the striking position because the things that I've learned over the years about, you, you know, the silly things with with, with body movement, um, you know, your contact with defenders, how, how you can, you know, little things that I've picked up over 20 years of playing, I just thought it'd be a, a great idea to get those things fresh into into young yeah, footballers absolutely. minds at an yeah. early age and say you know if there's an opportunity to if i do this with my body or if i take a step this way and and you know off step a defender or you know making comfortable little, little niggles and little bits and pieces that are the finer details that you you you, you gain over years of playing you know, they were just bits like that and a bit of fun um so yes yeah, so i started doing that um a couple of years ago did it for about um nearly a year then obviously everything happened um, with with the pandemic. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So it's, it, at the minute, it's not back up and running yet. It's been it's been off now for for probably nine nine months, ten months, something like that. So um, I'll be looking whether I start it up again uh, in the summer um, next year. I'm I'm not sure. Or we'll have to see what I'm doing because there's other things like I said I want to do. I've, I've done my B license, UA for B. So my A license will be starting in June, um, and then I'm looking at doing um, a degree as well around the sports directorship right. okay. um, yeah, yeah. as well. So so I've got a busy stuff next year. So whether I manage to get it back up and going again full time, we'll have to wait and see. But again, it's decisions I'll have to make when I know what I'm doing play wise. Yeah. But the future still within the game, hopefully. 
I think so. I think it'd be it'd be very selfish of me not to really. I think the the things that I've experienced and stuff. I think I owe it to, to obviously to the sport and and to other to other young professionals and stuff to to share that. And you know, it's it's what I've known and lived for for my my whole life really. So um, it'd be very difficult for me to walk away from it and and uh, and turn my back on on the game. I don't think that's that's an option. Um, I'll look at different ways where I can influence it and, and hopefully, you know, make a make a, a positive impact on it. It's working for a living, isn't it? So? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would the thirty-seven-year-old Johnstead give to the seventeen-year-old Johnstead? Oh, god, that's a deep one, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you wish you'd known back at the age of seventeen when you were starting out? I think, and we spoke a little bit about this. I think the the mental side of it. I think if I'd have been um, more aware of what's happening um, around me, I think, and pick up on stuff like that before it got an issue. I think with regards to you know going through spells when you're not scoring and yeah. if you're lacking confidence, um, I think I've I've built up better ways of dealing with that and and shrugging those kind of things off. And I think it's a very difficult thing to just switch on and off i think it's only something that you can probably work on over time um so yeah so if, if you, i think if i had that as a fresh faced 18 19 year old um you know af- after the the highs of what i did at blackburn and then the next kind of two and a half years really until i got to sheffield united was a really tough time and i think i probably masked that with thinking well you know i'm, I'm in the premier league it doesn't really matter um I'll go out with the lads on a Tuesday night and, yeah. and everything will be fine on a Thursday. I think at times I'm probably guilty of um, shrugging off my uh, my responsibilities a little bit. So I think I think that's probably the only thing I'd change. Yeah, I think it's certainly become a higher profile well, across all sport, but particularly football in the last few years. About yeah, there's only so much of an edge you can get physically. So where's the next place to go? Well, between the years, and so much of sport is played, as you say, mentally. That anybody who can optimise that is definitely on the right track. Final question then, John. I'm going to give you a fantasy testimonial game at the end of this season, and we're going to let fans in because it's a fantasy testimonial game. Which of the sides playing that you've ever played for would you want to play for in that game, and who would be your dream opponents? Oh, right, okay. Um, my opponents would definitely be Real Madrid, um, just because... It's Real Madrid. And Any I, particular I, era or just Real Madrid, as long as 11 guys uh, in white? I'd, I'd probably go like the, the first like Galactico era. Like yeah. The, yeah, the Zidane's. And, um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably go around that era there, as long as Roberto Carlos didn't take any free kicks and I wasn't in the <laughs> wall or anything. But, um, yeah, probably, probably that era. I'd want to play at... Um, I'd love to play at Spurs' as new stadium. Yeah. yeah it's probably, it might not be... You know, but I played at um, White Hart Lane, and looks amazing. Uh, it just looks incredible. Yeah, yeah so I'd, I'd love to. Um, well, I'm definitely when they get the NFL back there, I'm going to go down and watch. But um, yeah, I've never been there, so I'd love. I'd love to play the game there. Uh, and my team, who would go? You have to be very diplomatic now, won't you? And uh, I'm not going to say any Blackburn because that'd be too. It'd be too <laughs> obvious. to think I'm lying, although although it would be up there. I w- I think I would say my. Um, my Huddersfield Town team, but not my professional team. I think I'd go my last year in the academy, right. Huddersfield Town. The lads who I'd spent, obviously, the last, well since, well, since 12, 13 years old. And there's still a lot of them. Play. I mean, John Worthington, who we, we mentioned earlier, who got sent off in that 
he's um, he's coaching at Huddersfield Town. Um, Nathan Clark still playing centre half for Halifax, so he's another one. Phil Season, Phil Senior, like I said, is a, a goalkeeper here. Uh, David Murphy, he's recently retired but went on to play for Scunthorpe. Uh, Andy Holsworth, he's a coach now. I don't know whether he's still at Sunderland, but he was at um, Barnsley for a while. Um, so all the lads, uh, the majority of lads, some have some have gone on and not carried on playing football, but the majority are still in the game. So it'd be it'd be nice to have a catch up with all of them and play a match again. That sounds fantastic. That sounds absolutely amazing. Uh, is there going to be an autobiography one day? Ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, I don't know if, if there was if there was an appeal for for people to want to read it. Then obviously it'd be something I'd look at, but. Um, I'd be interested in in speaking more about the the transitional phase throughout players' career. That's something that I'd, I'd be interested in in uh, putting down on paper, like the obviously what I'm experiencing now, coming towards the end of my career. Yeah, that's um, what I was thinking. Yeah, every everybody's going to experience that, and I think um, it's probably a bit daunting um, for some. Um, I've had I've probably got less restrictions in in that respect. Um, if you you know the worries of the financial side of it and stuff like that, and, and you know what you're going to do next and stuff, but there's probably a lot of players that are really wondering where do I go from here. Um, and if you've got nothing planned or nothing set up and and, and stashed away, then um, it can it can prove difficult. So I think that's something that um, I'd like to see more of. If it's not me or somebody else, a bit more of a um, you know I'm sure the PFA do do mm-hmm. bits and give advice and stuff but I think if there was something written down especially Mm. a higher pro player than myself who'd been through that transition it'd be interesting for a lot of players to read I think there's some there's something in that you know I think you should think about it the the way that you've talked about passing on wisdom and experience and all the rest of it through coaching I think as Mm. you say it can go beyond it because the the success percentage of players who make it is so small and even those that make it you have careers at lots and lots of different levels something worth thinking about John it's been an absolute pleasure it's been an absolute pleasure. So there's not that many players who played for Blackburn Rovers for less than two years that had such a positive impression on the club and the fans and are still thought of as warmly as you are. Uh, you've made a massive contribution to the club. You help keepers in the Premier League. And I think uh, yours is, is one of those names that we always look out for. The only difficult thing we've found in the last few years is finding out who you played for. I think that, that's been one of the biggest challenges. One so of my for much longer <laughs> one of my uh, fellow podcast panellists he does this thing uh, before every game of, of pointing out the former players that have played for both sides uh, and I think your name appears clearly <laughs> more often than most so we just start the list with well John's dead he must have played for them that's yeah, what I was playing for start with that one. <laughs> absolutely so thank you very much for your time I really really appreciate it it's been a lovely, uh, lovely chat and uh, all the very best for Harrogate Town this season and whatever you decide to do next year you're welcome back to, to tell us about it at any time thank you very much it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much It's my pleasure, as always, on the BRFCS podcast to welcome a special guest, and it's Joe Harvey from Rovers Analytics once more. And as seems to be happening with increasing regularity, he posts something which uh, intrigues me, and then we have a conversation about it, and we include it in the podcast. So it's the same same old story here. Joe, how are you this evening? 
Yes, not too bad. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So you tweeted the other day, what is a box formation? And I'd heard this this quoted, and it's something that I think Rich Sharp has mentioned in a few of his match reports about Rovers dropping into a box mm. formation. So um, it piqued my interest, as so many of your tweets do. So would you like to engage us and tell us what is a box formation, please? Yeah, I think like yourself, I was really intrigued by it at the start as well, because I think we started to see it as this kind of plan B, uh, especially towards the end of the Millwall game where I found myself saying, is John Buckley up front there? Is John Buckley playing as the striker there? And I kind of told myself afterwards that I'd have to go back through that footage and really analyse it. And what we were really seeing was no strikers and four kind of half strikers, really. And we kind of heard all about this false nine and we kind of played with four of them. So then we saw it again uh, because we started at Brentford in that formation that we finished with at Millwall and, and Mowbray kind of hinted that that would be the case when he said we were going to try something a little bit different pre-match uh, to see how they could handle it and I think before a minute was even on the clock we'd had two shots on goal and one a corner yeah, and, uh, yeah. it was very attacking from the go so straight away it really piqued my interest because I, I did genuinely believe that Mowbray had kind of reached his ideal point there with the 4-3-3 and that was the end of the journey that's where we needed to get to but maybe there's more development to come on that. So t- tell us about it. To the uninitiated, then, uh, those of us that have grown up in a generation that was saw four four two as being the, the solid formation, what does this look and feel like, and what what do we, what should we look out for on the field? Well, it's really interesting. I think firstly we have to talk about where Adam Armstrong plays here because he's obviously the main man, the guy that we're trying to create goals for, and with this kind of box formation, he's kind of sharing that role up top with Sam Gallagher, really, and they both stay quite high and quite wide um, and not really in the middle. And we saw Armstrong quite far left. Uh, And then you end up with kind of Joe Rothwell, Harvey Elliott, John Buckley, all these kind of attacking midfielder types. And maybe as we'll touch on Bradley Dak when he returns uh, in these kind of central half zones, not really up front, not really in the midfield. Uh, And and, and I think really it's quite a confusing formation for, for, for oppositions to deal with. And, Basically, when we say box, what we're talking about is this kind of connection of four players in the middle. Um, we've got three different boxes in a box formation. So you've got your defensive box, which kind of includes your two holding midfielders. So like a, a Bradley Johnson and a Tom Tribal uh, with your two centre-backs. So we saw Daryl Ennehan with Scott Wharton. Uh, and that's kind of a defensive four. That's a box at the back with Thomas Kaminsky kind of helping. And then you've got like a midfield box, which includes your two more attacking midfielders and your two defensive midfielders. And then you've got this rotating fluid attacking box with four players, which includes your attacking midfielders and and your uh, and your strikers. And the only players really in the box formation that don't fit into one of these boxes are the are the fullbacks in in Nyambe and Douglas, uh, who kind of have this free role uh, to stay nice and high and nice and wide. It puts a lot of responsibility on them. Um, and obviously with John Buckley having to fill in in that position against Brentford, it was a really difficult game for him. And I thought that given there was so much responsibility on the fullbacks in that match, I thought he uh, performed amicably. 
Yeah, I felt felt really sorry for him. Actually, I thought he was being thrown to the dogs at first because obviously you're a man short. So the dynamism that this formation might uh, might allow it means everyone's just stretched that little bit more. And I think when he, when he first went to to right back, he looked exposed and he wasn't getting the cover that he uh, that he would normally expect. Because I think Nyambi is just such a, such a marauding fullback. So in this formation, the width doesn't come from traditional wingers. It comes from the fullbacks that you've mentioned. Where does that leave the likes of Tyrese Dolan? Where does it leave... Uh, well, Harry Chapman has, has struggled, as we know, to get into the first team, but is there any room whatsoever for a traditional winger in this team? Yeah, it's fascinating, really, isn't it? Because Mowbray likes to play Sam Gallagher's out on the wing and yeah, Harvey Elliott's much more central. Um, obviously, Joe Rothwell played a lot on the wing when he was younger and when he first came to Rovers and has now come central. And we're starting to see the rewards of that, of course, with the goal that he scored um, down at the Brentford Community Stadium, as it's now known, the new the new stadium there. Uh, so you kind of see Harvey Elliott and Tyrese Dolan and Joe Rothwell type players playing in these kind of right central and left central channels, not really out on the wing, driving with the ball into the middle um, and, and very often rotating round. So we play with a very high and very intense press. Um, and we, you know, we're putting pressure on the goalkeeper. We're trying to pin them back into the corners. Uh, that is really tiring. And, and there's a huge injury risk with that as well. So you see this rotation where the two in behind often swap with the two up top. So you might have Harvey Elliott and Joe Rothwell going and doing the press with Armstrong and Gallagher waiting a little bit deeper to have a rest because they've been running for so long. And that rotation, whether it's clockwise or a complete, you know, they just know what they're doing and they mix it up. Um, it is interesting to see and it confuses me. So I can imagine that on the pitch in the moment, it must be quite confusing for opposition defenders as well. As for Tyrese Dolan and where he can fit into this, I mean, I think what we will see if we continue with this formation is that this will be a plan B. So I think that this is where we'll go to if we're struggling to break teams down or maybe we might start games with this formation to really put the press on and then revert back to what we're used to. And I think with his role coming off the bench at the minute, it gives us a little bit of fluidity with those systems. Mm. In the thread that you posted, I think you, you talk about it in the final third, creating an overload because you, you've got six players potentially um, confronting the opposition's defence. I, I, I guess that means, therefore, that you've got fewer in defence. So the people that are the last man need to have pace in case there's a fast counter-attack. Um, are Lenahan and Ayala... Um, are they, are, how well suited are they to, to covering in, in that situation, in your view? Well, uh, not particularly well suited. And I think that's where the flaw to this system comes in. Um, what You know, with Nyambe and Douglas so high, the holding midfielders pull a little wide and basically make up a back four in a way with your centre-backs. Um, so you've got coverage, but like say, when you look across those players, Bradley Johnson, Tom Tribal, Daryl Lennon, and it was Scott Wharton, but you know Daniel Ayala, none of them possess a, a real, real turn of pace. It's not yeah. like Ryan yeah. Mayambe when he stays back on his corners. So yeah, there is a huge element of being exposed there. I mean, Ivan Tony for the penalty and the red card, I mean, he, he got in in that kind of right central channel um, and that comes from your fullback being so high up the pitch and having to get back, and and then a slower and less defensively able player uh, filling in a gap, basically. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely flaws to the to the formation, and that's one of the major ones. It creates an overload up top, but leaves us a little bit slow at the back. 
Who were the prime exponents of this that we might recognise or we might look out for in, say, the Premier League or in Europe? See, that's that's why I was so fascinated because I, I don't actually think there's many people doing this um, or playing in this way. I think in some ways, a lot of what this is draws again back to Liverpool. Um, obviously, Liverpool play this 4-3-3 with a false nine and we emulated it for a while and Jurgen Klopp and Tony Mowbray kind of talked about it and Harvey Elliott's come because we play a similar style and Liverpool often revert to similar situations to this as well when they're in the final third. You see Trent Alexander-Arnold as high as we see Nyambe and in those right central areas getting the ball into the box and being that creative outlet mm-hmm. high and wide at the top of the pitch. You know, Barry Douglas, Andy Robertson, there's obviously the Scottish connection there, but again, their positioning on the field and their responsibilities to get the ball into the box. I think Barry Douglas statistically has got such a high creative output so far in his time here because we're asking him to to put a lot of balls in and I think Sam Gallagher is going to score more goals because of it. He's not quite got the athleticism of Robertson, sadly. But then again, if he had, no. I don't know that Leeds would loan him out to us. So one, one last question on this um, on this formation, Joe. Where might Bradley Beck fit into this and does this ease him back into the side? See, I think that's why I quite like this and there's definitely an element to it where you could say maybe that's why we're trialling this now and using it here and there because it's where we want to get to to get Dak in this team and scoring goals and playing well. I think the issue is that the role that you see him in is probably in the Harvey Elliott or Joe Rothwell role Mm. in behind. So, you know, I think there's going to be some key rotation there. Um, Mowbray obviously insinuating today that it will be Doncaster in the cup that he'll be back for, which is obviously a great game for him to come back in against a League One opposition. I'm sure he'll get a goal there. Um, But yeah, so probably in that hole, but with the rotation um, round from striker to attacking midfielder, I think it will suit his game. Some games, he's going to need to be that man in the box, coming in at the last minute and and poaching from three yards. And other games, we're going to need his creativity in in slightly deeper areas. Yeah. Um, but I think this formation, much more than the plan A, 4-3-3 formation, yeah. suits Bradley Dak much better. It's one of those those tremendous questions that everybody, I think, has posed in recent weeks as he's got closer and closer to fitness. And, of course, the reveal will happen at some point, sooner rather than later, hopefully. But uh, he's such, yeah. a, such a great talent. The thing that really excites me is how he might link with someone like Elliot, because I think Elliot's vision... And he, the way he can pick and thread a pass is is probably the best we've had since dare, dare I say it too, guy. It's, it's sort of like his his vision and the way that he can he can just find space and the perfect way to pass. Dak not renowned for his pace, but he's certainly got skill, technique, and has a similar eye for a gap and ghosting into space. That I just find that really exciting. And if if opposition defenses focus on him, then it's more space for the likes of Armstrong, Gallagher, Brereton or whatever. So it's really interesting. Well, thanks once again for that, Joe. There's one other thing I want to touch on before we let you go, and that's the, uh, the dare I say, the big fat Rovers quiz of the year, uh, which you've got lined up for just before Christmas, and uh, you very kindly invited BRFCS along. At the moment, I think I'm in the chair, unless uh, unless somebody particularly wants to take it seriously. I am absolutely terrified that I'm going to get absolutely trounced by people who know their stuff and I've insisted on a round of questions in the 1970s I don't know whether I'll get that because that's technically not this year but we shall see what uh, what happens Joe tell us about the event and, and what it's all in aid of yeah so we're really excited about it um we kind of formulated this idea not so long ago and said what could we do and it 
it originally wasn't supposed to be this big thing. It was just going to be a bit of a continuation of some of the lockdown quizzes we did a while ago. But we pushed it on and, and threw some ideas around and took on some advice from yourself and from some other, other organisations. So in the end, we've kind of gone for this panel show vibe, um, all in aid of raising money for the Salvation Army in Blackburn. Um, we'll have a Just Giving link and we'll be trying to raise money throughout the evening and all of the revenue from the Rovers Chat website and social media and sponsorships will be going to the Salvation Army for December and we've got some sponsors involved as well. So um, we're going to have panellists, like I said, from BRFCS, Rovers Chat. We've also got Jacob Crook from Lanx Live and Rich Sharp from the Lancashire Telegraph. And then we've got a whole host of special guest appearances uh, who will be coming along to wish the Rovers fans a Merry Christmas. So we've got current players, former players, players from the Rovers ladies team, as well as some famous Blackburn blue tickers on uh, <laughs> on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and whatnot as well. So it's all going down on the 23rd of December. Uh, it'll be on YouTube, live on Twitter as well. And we're just going to have fun with it, raise some money and get all of the Rovers kind of content creators involved. Fantastic. It sounds it sounds really, really interesting, I have to say. I'm, I am looking forward to it, all, all joking aside. Uh, but I'm under tremendous psychological pressure from my, my <laughs> colleagues in BRFCS to, to not let the side down. So... We shall see how we handle that. But there we go. Looking forward to it, notwithstanding. Joe, thanks for your time once again, my friend. Uh, always interesting talking to you. It's always interesting to get an insight into something that isn't my natural forte. And you, you're doing your bit to educate me, if nobody else. So uh, thanks once again. No problem. Thanks very much for having me. Okay, so that's about all the time we have, but just a reminder to please familiarize yourself with the proper guidelines by visiting the website for the Centers for Disease Control or the World Health Organization. Who? Yes. No, whose website? That's correct. Yeah, who? Yes. Okay, I go to the website. Yes. Whose website? That's right. Brian, we're in a crisis here. I don't think it's time to be dicking around. Who gives the guidelines? Yes, who gives the guidelines? That's what I'm asking! God, I hate you right now! Look, the point is, we can get through this. That's right, we've got to have each other's backs because we're all in this together. <coughs> get the fuck away from me! Okay, this has gone well. Uh, hang in there, everyone. Stay home as directed by your local and state governments, and we can beat this thing and get back to life. Do you want to play sorry? Sorry.